Section 22 of The Broad Highway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Broad Highway by Geoffrey Farnell. Book 2, Chapter 10. I am suspected of the black art. Vibert. The word had been uttered close behind me, and very softly, yet I started at this sudden mention of my name, and stood for a moment with my hammer poised above the anvil, ere I turned and faced the speaker. He was a tall man with a stubbly growth of grizzled hair around his lank jaws, and he was leaning in at that window of the smithy, which gave upon a certain grassy back lane. "'You spoke, I think,' said I. I said, Vibert. "'Well?' Well, and why should you say Vibert? And why should you start? Beneath the broad flapping hat his eyes glowed with a sudden intensity as he waited my answer. It is familiar, said I. Ha! Ah, familiar, he repeated, and his features were suddenly contorted as with a strong convulsion, and his teeth gleamed between his pallid lips. My hammer was yet in my grasp, and, as I met this baleful look, my fingers tightened instinctively around the shaft. "'Familiar?' said he again. "'Yes,' I nodded. "'Like your face, for it would almost seem I have seen you somewhere before, and I seldom forget faces.' "'Nor do I,' said the man. Now, while we were thus fronted each other, there came the sound of approaching footsteps, and John Pringle, the carrier, appeared, followed by the pessimistic job. "'Marnin', Peter. Them oar-shoes,' began John, pausing just outside the smithy door. "'You was to finish em this afternoon. If so be as they been done, you being short-handed without George, why, I can wait.' Now, during this speech, I was aware that both his and Job's eyes had wandered from my bandaged thumb to my bare throat, and become fixed there. "'Come in and sit down,' said I, nodding to each as I blew up the fire. "'Come in.' For a moment they hesitated, then John stepped gingerly into the smithy, closely followed by Job, and watching them beneath my brows as I stooped above the shaft of the bellows, I saw each of them furtively cross his fingers. "'Why do you do that, John Pringle?' said I. "'Do what, Peter?' "'Cross your fingers.' "'Why, you see, Peter,' said John, glancing in turn at the floor, the rafters, the fire, and the anvil, but never at me, "'you see, it be just a kind of way of mine.' "'But why does Job do the same?' "'And why do you look at a man so sharp and sun-like?' retorted Job sullenly. "'Dang me, if it aren't enough to send cold shivers up a chap's spine. I never see such a pair of eyes afore, no, nor don't want to again.' "'Nonsense!' said I. My eyes can't hurt you. And how am I to know that? How am I to be sure of that, and you with your throat all worn with devil's claws and demon's clutches? It being natural. Old Amos says so, and I says so. Pure folly, said I, plucking the iron from the fire, and beginning to beat and shape it with my hammer. But presently, remembering the strange man who had spoken my name, I looked up, and then I saw that he was gone. Where is he? said I, involuntarily. "'Where's who?' inquired John Pringle, glancing about uneasily. "'The fellow who was talking to me as you came up?' "'I didn't see no fellow,' 
said Jop, looking at John and edging nearer the door. "'Nor me neither,' chimed in John Pringle, looking at Jop. "'Why, he was leaning in at the window here not a minute ago,' said I, and, plunging the half-finished horseshoe back into the fire, I stepped out into the road. But the man was nowhere to be seen. "'Very strange,' said I. "'What might he have been like now?' inquired John. "'He was tall and thin and wore a big flapping hat.' John Pringle coughed, scratched his chin, and coughed again. "'What is it, John?' I inquired. "'Why, then, you couldn't happen to notice him wearing his hat. You couldn't happen to notice if he had ever a pair of horns, Peter?' "'Horns!' I exclaimed. Uh, "'Or a tail, Peter?' "'Or even a oof now,' suggested Job. "'Come,' said I, looking from one to the other. "'What might you be driving at?' "'Why, you see, Peter,' answered John, coughing again and scratching his chin harder than before, "'you see, Peter, it aren't natural for a human being to go vanishing away like this here. "'If it were a man, as you were a-talking to—' "'Which I doubt,' muttered Job. "'If it were a man, Peter, then I axes you, where is that man?' Before I could answer this pointed question, old Joel Amos hobbled up. He paused on the threshold to address someone over his shoulder. "'Come on, James, eerie be. Come forward, James, like a man.' Thus adjured, another individual appeared, a somewhat flaccid-looking individual, with colourless hair and eyes, one who seemed to exhale an air of apology, as it were, from the hobnailed boot upon the floor to the grimy forefinger that touched the straw-like hair in salutation. "'Morning, Peter,' said old Amos. "'This year is Dutton.' "'How do you do?' said I, acknowledging the introduction. "'And what can I do for Mr. Dutton?' The latter, instead of replying, took out a vivid bulger handkerchief, and apologetically mopped his face. "'Speak up, James Dutton,' said old Amos. "'Lord!' exclaimed Dutton. "'Lord! I do be that ought. You speak for I. Amos, do!' "'Well,' began old Amos, not ill-pleased, "'this ear Dutton wants to ask you a question. "'E do, Peter.' "'I shall be glad to answer it if I can,' I returned. "'You ear that? "'Well, ax your question, James Dutton,' commanded the old man. "'Why, you see, Amos,' began Dutton, "'positively reeking apology, "'I do be that uncommon ought. "'You axin.' "'Why, then, Peter,' began Amos, with great unction, "'it's as pigs.' "'Pigs?' I exclaimed, staring. "'Ah, pigs, Peter,' nodded old Amos. "'Dutton's pigs. "'Is thou farrowed last week, at three in the morning, nine of them?' "'Well,' said I, wondering more and more. "'Well, Peter, they was a fine hearty lot, and all are doing well, till last Monday.' "'Indeed?' said I. Last Monday night, four of em sickened and died. Most unfortunate, said I. And the rest has never been the same since. Probably ate something that disagreed with them, said I, picking up my hammer and laying it down again. Old Amos smiled and shook his head. You know James Dutton's pigs died, don't you, Peter? I really can't say that I do. Yet you pass it every day on your way to the Oller. It lies just behind Simon's Oast House, as James hisself will tell ye. So it do, interpolated Dutton, with an apologetic nod, which, leastways, if it don't, can't be no of. 
having delivered himself of which he buried his face in the belcher handkerchief. "'Now, one evening, Peter,' continued old Amos, "'one evening you leaned over the fence of that there pigsty, "'and stood a-looking at they pigs for, perhaps, ten minutes.' "'Did I?' "'Yeah, that you did. "'James Dutton see thee, and his wife, she see ye too, and I see ye.' "'Then,' said I, "'probably I did. "'Well?' "'Well,' said the old man, looking round upon his hearers, "'and bringing out each word with the greatest unction, that your evening were last Monday evening, as ever was, the very same hour as Dutton's pig sickened and died. Hereupon John Pringle and Job rose simultaneously from where they had been sitting, and retreated precipitately at the door. Lord! exclaimed John. I might have knowed it, said Job, drawing a cross in the air with his finger. And so James Dutton wants to ax you to take it off, Peter, said old Amos. "'To take what off?' "'Why, the spell, for sure.' Hereupon I gave free play to my amusement, and laughed and laughed, while the others watched me with varying expressions. "'And so you think that I bewitched Dutton's pigs, do you?' said I at last, glancing from old Amos to this perspiring apology, who immediately began to mop his face and neck again. "'And why?' I continued, seeing that nobody appeared willing to speak. Why should you think it of me? Why, Peter, you bean't like ordinary folk. Your eyes go through and through a man. And then, Peter, I mind as you come a-walking into Sisner's one night from Lord knows where, all covered with dust and with a pack on your back. You are wrong there, Amos, said I. It was afternoon when I came, and the Ancient was with me. Ah, and where did you find you, Peter? Come, speak up and tell us. "'In the hollow,' I answered. "'Ah, he found he in the very spot where the wanderer o' the roads hung himself sixty and six years ago.' "'There is nothing very strange in that,' said I. "'What's more, you come into the village, and beat Black George throwing the ammer, and him the strongest man in all the south country.' "'I beat him because he did not do his best.' "'so there is nothing strange in that either. "'And then you lives all alone in that there ghastly oller, "'and you fights and struggles with devils and demons, "'all in the wind and rain and tearing tempest, "'and what's most of all, you comes back alive, "'and what's more yet, with devil marks upon you "'and your throat all tore with claws. "'Old Gaffer be over proud of finding ye, "'but old Gaffer be doddering, doddering ye be, "'and foolish with years,' "'E'd a done much better to left you alone. "'I've eared of folk selling theirselves to the devil afore now. "'I've likewise eared of the evil eye afore now. "'Ah, and knows one when I sees it.' "'Nonsense,' said I sternly. "'Nonsense! "'This talk of ghosts and devils is sheer folly. "'I am a man like the rest of you, "'and could not wish you ill, even if I would come. "'Let us all shake hands and forget this folly.' and I extended my hand to old Amos. He glanced from it to my face, and immediately lowering his eyes shook his head. "'It's the evil eye,' said he, and drew a cross upon the floor with his stick. "'The evil eye!' "'Nonsense!' said I again. "'My eye is no more evil than yours, or Job's. I never wished any man harm yet, nor wronged one, and I hope I never may. As for Mr. Dutton's pigs, if he take better care of them and keep them out of the damp, 
They will probably thrive better than ever. Come, shake hands. But one by one they edged their way to the door after old Amos, until only John Pringle was left. He, for a moment, stood hesitating. Then, suddenly reaching out, he seized my hand and shook it twice. I'll call for them more shoes in the morning, Peter, said he, and vanished. After all, I heard him say as he joined the others, it's summat to have shook hands with a chap as fights with demons. Chapter 11 A Shadow in the Hedge Over the uplands to my left the moon was peeping at me, very broad and yellow, as yet casting long shadows athwart my way. The air was heavy with the perfume of honeysuckle abloom in the hedges, a warm, still air wherein a deep silence brooded, and in which leaf fluttered not and twig stirred not, but it was none of this I held in my thoughts as I strode along, whistling softly as I went. Yet in a while, chancing to lift my eyes, I beheld the objects of my reverie coming towards me through the shadows. "'Why, Charmian,' said I, uncovering my head. "'Why, Peter!' "'Did you come to meet me?' "'It must be nearly nine o'clock, sir.' "'Yes, I had to finish some work. "'Did anyone pass you on the road?' "'Not a soul.' "'Peter, have you an enemy?' "'Not that I know of, unless it be myself.' Epictetus says somewhere that, "'Oh, Peter, how dreadfully quiet everything is,' said she, and shivered. "'Are you cold?' "'No, but it is so dreadfully still.' Now in one place the lane, narrowing suddenly, led between high banks crowned with bushes, so that it was very dark there. As we entered this gloom, Charmian suddenly drew closer to my side and slipped her hand beneath my arm and into my clasp and the touch of her fingers was like ice. "'Your hand is very cold,' said I, but she only laughed, yet I felt her shiver as she pressed herself close against me. And now it was she who talked, and I who walked in silence, or answered at random, for I was conscious only of the clasp of her fingers and the soft pressure of hip and shoulder. So we passed through this lane of shadows, walking neither fast nor slow, and ever her cold fingers clasped my fingers, and her shoulder pressed my arm while she talked and laughed, but of what I know not until we had left the dark place behind. Then she sighed deeply and turned, and drew her arm from mine almost sharply, and stood looking back, with her two hands pressed upon her bosom. "'What is it?' "'Look!' she whispered, pointing. "'There, where it's darkest, look!' Now, following the direction of her finger, I saw something that skulked amid the shadows, something that slunk away and vanished as I watched. "'A man!' I exclaimed, and would have started in pursuit, but Charmian's hands were upon my arm, strong and compelling. "'Are you mad?' cried she angrily. "'Would you give him the opportunity I prevented? He was waiting there to, to, to shoot you, I think.' And after we had gone on some little way, I spoke. Was that why you came to meet me? Yes. And kept so close beside me? Yes. Ah, oh, yes, to be sure, said I, and walked on in silence, and now I noticed that she kept as far from me as the path would allow. Are you thinking me very unmaidenly again, sir? No, I answered, no. You see, I had no other way. Had I told you that there was a man hidden in the hedge, you would have gone to look, and then something dreadful would have happened. How came you to know he was there? 
Why, after I had prepared supper, I climbed that steep path which leads to the road, and sat down upon the fallen tree that lies there, to watch for you, and as I sat there I saw a man come hurrying down the road. A very big man? Yeah, very tall he seemed, and, as I watched, he crept in behind the hedge. While I was wondering at this, I heard your step on the road, and you were whistling. And yet I seldom whistle. It was you. I knew your step. Did you, Charmian? I do wish you would not interrupt, sir. I beg your pardon, said I humbly. And then I saw you coming, and the man saw you too, for he crouched suddenly. I could only see him dimly in the shadow of the hedge, but he looked murderous, and it seemed to me that if you reached his hiding-place before I did, something terrible would happen, and so— You came to meet me. Yes, and walked close beside me so that you were between me and the shadow of the hedge? Yes, and I thought I began and stopped. Well, Peter? Here she turned and gave me a swift glance beneath her lashes. That it was because you were, perhaps, rather glad to see me. Charmian did not speak. Indeed, she was so very silent that I would have given much to have seen her face just then. But the light was very dim, as I have said. Moreover, she had turned her shoulder towards me. But I am grateful to you, I went on, very grateful, and it was very brave of you. Thank you, sir, she answered in a very small voice, and I more than suspected that she was laughing at me. Not, I therefore continued, that there was any real danger. What do you mean? she asked quickly. I mean that in all probability the man you saw was Black George, a very good friend of mine who, though he may imagine he has a grudge against me, is too much of a man to lie in wait to do me hurt. Then why should he hide in the hedge? Because he committed the mistake of throwing the town beetle over the churchyard wall, and is, consequently, in hiding for the present. He has an ill-sounding name. And is the manliest, gentlest, truest, and the worthiest fellow that ever wore the leather apron. Seeing how perseveringly she kept the whole breadth of the path between us, I presently fell back and walked behind her. Now her head was bent, and thus I could not but remark the little curls and tendrils of hair upon her neck, whose sole object seemed to be to make the white skin more white, by contrast. "'Peter,' said she suddenly, speaking over her shoulder, "'of what are you thinking?' "'Of a certain steak pasty that was promised for my supper.' I answered immediately, mendacious. Oh! And what? I inquired. What were you thinking? I was thinking, Peter, that the shadow in the hedge may not have been Black George after all. End of Book 2, Chapters 10 and 11